So have you ever sought out someone for an answer? You had a question or concern and you went and you met with somebody and you asked a question and their response was not what you expected. It shocked you. It was so out of left field that it kind of threw you for a loop. You were kind of speechless, really confused. I've had many of these experiences in my life, as I'm sure you have as well. And one of them I was thinking about this week is when I was in high school, I decided uh, to take honors physics for my senior year. This was the first mistake. So I thought to myself, you know, I really want to like, like have like a nice looking curriculum. I want to, you know, apply to all these colleges the first semester of your senior year. And you want to get into the colleges, so honors physics, like that sounds great. So I took it. And then, you know, I went through the whole college application process, and I was accepted before starting my second semester of my senior year. This was a problem. I don't know if you can relate, if you had the same situation where you had already been accepted into college, and then you start this last semester of your high school career, and you have honors physics. Well, let me tell you how this worked for me. I thought to myself, I'm already in college. All I have to do is pass, Right? It doesn't really matter what grades I get because a college is not going to ask. As long as I graduate, I'm good to go. So, you know, I was just kind of going through the class, and, and physics is not something that I get excited about. Some of you love it. I know some of you are here. You're like, I love physics. It's the best. Not for me. Not for me. And so I was just trying to get through, get through the class, and we get near the end of the semester, and I calculated the grade I needed to get on my final exam to pass, and it was a 60. And I'm like, I can do that. You know, I've, I have a B in the class right now. I've been doing, you know, fairly decent on some of the exams. And then the professor or the teacher says something to me. He says, listen, for your final exam, you can also bring in a three-by-five note card. And you can write whatever you want on it. I'm like, what? This is amazing. This is all working out. So I wrote all the formulas that he, I thought were important that he talked about. I wrote them all in the formula. And I thought, listen, I got this card with all these formulas on it. I don't need to study now right? Like the, the exam was only 10 questions. So I figured, listen, I can get six questions right. And he, this teacher also gave half credit for questions. So like I got even more chances here. I got the formulas. I'm good to go. So I roll into the test with this confidence. I'm going to do it. After the test, I'm like, hmm, I'm not really sure about this one. So the next day I get the grade. I got a 10. You're like, you got one question right? I got like, no, 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 I got two questions half right. <laughs> so I'm in a state of panic, you know what I mean? Like, I need to graduate, I need to go to college, I don't want to do summer school, I got plans, I don't want to retake the test, but I'm probably going to have to retake the test, I'll have to cram, i have to learn all this stuff, I'm going to need to get a tutor, I don't know what I'm going to do, because I'm supposed to be walking in one week, and I got a 10. So I set up an appointment with the professor with the teacher, and I meet him the next day, and I come in, you know, I, I've been practicing what I'm going to say. I got my questions. I got my concerns. I'm coming before him, and, I'm, and, he, and I, I open the door, and I come in, and he goes, Carter, you didn't do too well, did you? And I was like, yeah, uh, no, and I start saying, I'm so sorry. I think I took the note card thing for granted, you know, like I, I should have done more, and he goes, listen, Carter, I changed your score already, and I'm like, wait, what? He's like, I gave you a 60. I was like, did you know I needed a 60? And he's like, you passed the class. I gave you a 60. I gave you 50 points extra credit. And I'm like, what? I'm, am I, I'm like, what is happening? This is not the kind of teacher that does this. And here's what he says. He goes, I gave you 50 points extra credit. I think partly because he didn't want me in his class for another year. But he's like, I gave you 50 points extra credit because when I started the robotics club, 
the physics teacher, of course, runs a robotics club. When I started robotics club freshman year, you helped out. And so because I helped out four years earlier at the robotics club, he gave me 50 points extra credit. And by helped out the robotics club, it meant I was not allowed to get anywhere near the robot. I was a basketball player, and he said, shoot hoops, and we're going to, like, measure the arc because the, ba- the robot, like, shot hoops, and they went to competitions. So I just shot the basketball into hoops. That was my robotics interaction. And I went to one competition, and I was like, can I drive the robot? He's like, no, don't even come near it. Like, I don't even want to see you. You're a scout. So you just go talk to people and figure out what their robots do. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. So pretend like I'm like a spy, you know. But because I did this, he gave me 50 points extra credit. And I'll never forget that interaction with him. I mean, like my mouth was on the floor. I was not expecting that response. I was preparing for, you know, who was going to tutor me to take the test. And what was I going to do if I had to take summer school? I had all these thoughts of the way that he was going to respond. And he responded completely different. And it shook me. And it was, threw me for a loop. And we're continuing our series tonight that we've entitled Face to Face with God, and and it's encountering the real person of Jesus Christ, Uh, because if you want to come face to face with God, if you want to learn from God, if you want to hear from God, you need to look at God in the flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tonight is going to come face to face with this man named Nicodemus, and he's this religious leader and this religious man, and the response that Jesus gives Nicodemus, because Nicodemus is going to come to him with some questions, with some concerns, he's got a lot of thoughts, is not what Nicodemus expected. It shakes him. It throws him for a loop because he never thought Jesus would say what he says. So we pick up and it says this. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So let me tell you a little bit about who Nicodemus is. He is a Pharisee, which means he is a religious scholar. He has spent the majority of his life studying the Old Testament. He is a pastor, a priest, a bishop. He's got a doctorate in theology and he's gone through every seminary class possible. I mean, he knows the Bible and he's been labeled a Pharisee. He's a spiritual leader in the community and he's recognized as such. But he's also a ruler, which means he's most likely part of the Sanhedrin. So he's a part of this ruling body, this ruling council, because he is not only a man that is given spiritual honor as a spiritual authority and leader in the community, but also political Because he's a bright man. He's lived a good life. He's treated as somebody with wisdom. And we know in another place in Scripture that he's also very successful. So he's wealthy as well. I mean, this man is what every person thinks. This is what the good life looks like. Successful with authority and with power and with influence and spiritual honor. And so this man, Nicodemus, is going to come to Jesus and says this and verse 2. It says, this man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So at this point in Jesus's public ministry, Jesus has kind of become famous. He's become well-known. People know who he is. They've heard about the miracles, the people that he's fed, the people that he's healed. They've heard about what he's said, how he's claimed to be the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, that he is the son of God. And so Nicodemus, as a man of influence, and as a man that's a scholar of the Old Testament and a spiritual leader, he is going to come to Jesus because he is interested. He's intrigued. He has questions. He has got concerns. He's got thoughts. There's a very interesting detail. I don't know if you noticed it in verse 2. 
It's always important when you read scripture to notice the interesting details that are seemingly unimportant. They're oftentimes very important. It says that Nicodemus came to Jesus when? By night or at night. And here's why that's important. Because Nicodemus, of a man of great reputation and stature, does not want to be seen with Jesus. So he comes to him at night. You heard the slogan before, nothing good happens after midnight. Hated that. That was always used for curfews. Like, nothing good happens after 9 p.m. What? That's not the slogan. It's midnight, you know? But it always, the parents always try to bump it up to get you to come home earlier. But at night, it's true. At night, sketchy things happen. There's very interesting and shady interactions. People will meet with others at night to be under the cover of darkness so that other people don't see who they're talking to and who they're spending time with. And so Nicodemus does the same thing. He comes to Jesus at night under the cover of darkness. But it's not only telling you that that Nicodemus doesn't really want to be seen with Jesus, but it is also saying something about this interaction or the disposition of Nicodemus in his approach. Because the phrase or the understanding of at night or by night all throughout Scripture always has a negative connotation for the most part, right? Judas betrays Jesus when? At night. So that the disciples, when they went out to, to go catch fish, they went out at night and they were unable to catch any fish. It says that you're going to stumble when you walk if you walk at night. The, the whole idea of night has this negative connotation in different sections of Scripture. And so John, who is the author of this book that we're reading, is saying something. He's saying not only is Nicodemus approaching Jesus at night because he doesn't want to be seen, he's saying that is not the way to approach Jesus. This is a negative approach to Jesus. And so the question is, you know, how do you approach Jesus? Do you approach him at night? You know, you're here this evening before it's actually literally at night. And for some of you, that's a courageous step because you're coming here and you know, man, people may see me. And I don't know, I'm kind of still in the very beginning of the spiritual journey thing and, you know, people may notice that I'm at church or I may go to work tomorrow and people may say, what'd you do this weekend? And you're going to say you avoided the rain and you tried to go outside when it was nice and then you're going to be like, and I went to church, huh? And they're going to be like, you went to what? You went, I went to church, yeah. Or maybe some of you are approaching Jesus at night, and when someone asks you about your weekend, you say, I went to the beach, I hung out with friends, and um, that's about it. Because you don't want people to know that you interact with Jesus. Because you know what could happen. People could think certain things or say certain things. Maybe you've been to a coffee shop before, you've been at work, and you carry a Bible in your purse or your backpack, and... You're very careful not let people notice that you have that with you. Or when you're sitting at the coffee shop, you have a Christian book or you have a Bible that's on the table and you maybe turn it over so when people are walking by, they don't see the cover and really know what it is. Right, John is saying something, and this is, we're, we're, a lot of us are like Nicodemus, and all of us at one point in time in different places in different seasons of life, we have that understanding that there's a little bit of shame and a little bit of, of fear to associate and to interact with Jesus and that's not the way to approach him. It's, we're not supposed to approach Jesus and be full of shame and be full of fear and approach him at night. And so John is kind of challenging even the reader here to say, how are you approaching Jesus? Are you approaching him at night like Nicodemus? 
Or are you willing to take a step and say, yeah, I, I go to church and I'm, I'm on the spiritual journey or I believe and I'm processing these things. And are you walking to Jesus at night or not? But Nicodemus, he goes to Jesus at night. And this is, this is very consistent with many of us at the very beginning when you begin to interact with Jesus, you go to Jesus at night. That's the same for me, right? I was still checking it out. I didn't want too many people to know. And so he goes, but he's interested, and he's very intrigued, and he's got things that he wants to discuss. And then Jesus launches in verse 3 to something that begins to shock Nicodemus. This is where he gets thrown off because he doesn't expect this. And Jesus says, truly, truly, or amen and amen, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're like, wait, what? Nicodemus just said to Jesus, rabbi or teacher, I know that you've come from God. Maybe you're a prophet. I don't know. But you've come from God because no one could do the things that you're doing unless they would have come from God or that God is with them. And all of a sudden, Jesus is like, amen and amen. And if you want to, you know, see the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. It's like, what? He didn't ask any question about seeing the kingdom of God or being born again. And yet Jesus says that. Why? Because Jesus knows what Nicodemus is there to ask, even before he verbalizes it. He knows that Nicodemus is there as a religious man, and he wants to know, is he living right? And what does he need to do to see and enter the kingdom of God? And so Jesus goes right ahead, and he answers the question before he even verbalizes it. And you see, all of us here, there's kind of two camps that you may fall in if you being here tonight. One, you believe in Jesus. You've identified with Christ. And you're here to worship and you're here to come before the Lord. And then the other half, the people that are here, you're here and you're interested. You're curious. You've you got questions for Jesus. You're beginning the spiritual journey. You're on that. But all of us that are here tonight, we're all bringing questions. We're all bringing concerns. We're all bringing problems before Jesus, right? And here's what is so reassuring is that Jesus knows the question you're asking, even if you don't verbalize it. There, you may have questions and concerns and problems that no one in the world knows about except for you. And yet Jesus knows. And he will answer those questions, and he will come to, to deal with those concerns and those problems when you come before him, when you interact with him, when you listen to him, and when you lay it before him. And that's what Nicodemus does. Nicodemus doesn't say to Jesus, wait, 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 I didn't say anything about being born again and entering the kingdom of God. He jumps right into it because he realizes that Jesus is answering the question that he wanted to ask. And he said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? See, Nicodemus is being sarcastic here, right? Like, he is a religious man who has lived his life by achieving he has achieved influence and success and power and authority and spiritual honor by doing things. He is religious. He has followed the right steps. He has done the right things. He has removed the right things. And so he's coming to Jesus and his mind is focused on what he can do and what he can achieve and what he can grab and experience. His eyes are face down and Jesus is saying to him, you're not looking in the right direction. 
And so Nicodemus' response to him is, well, it doesn't make any sense. Like, how can an old person get back into the womb and be born again? That doesn't make any sense. His mind is fixated on the things of the flesh, the things that you can touch and feel and acquire and achieve. I want to ask you a question as you begin to think about the things that you're bringing before Jesus tonight. The questions you have, the concerns, the problems that you have as you bring them here, as you think about them now. What are you looking for? When you come before Jesus, even this evening, what are you looking for? Because I think a lot of times we're like Nicodemus, right? You come to church, you're listening to a sermon, you go to a Bible study, you spend time with talking with somebody else, and you come before Jesus, and you have your questions and your concerns, and you have your problems, and what you're looking for is an action step. You want something to do, something to implement, something to try to achieve, some step to take. You want steps one, two, three. Maybe you've thought this before. You ever listened to a sermon and you walked away and you're like, I don't really know what to do. That goes kind of a useless sermon because I don't know what to do. I wasn't told practically what I need to go now work on this week. Because it's so easy to fixate your mind on what you can do and achieve and feel and experience and acquire. And that was Nicodemus' issue too. And Jesus is going to try to help him see what he's saying. Because what Jesus says is counterintuitive. Especially in regards to seeing and enter the kingdom of God. It is counterintuitive because it has nothing to do with what you can see and acquire and achieve and experience and you can make happen on your own. And so Jesus answers him again. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. There are two main things I want you to see in Jesus' response, and the first one is this. Is Christianity won't fix your problems. I don't know if you, you come here, you've been thinking that, you've been proce- processing that. You're like, you know, I'm, I'm checking out this Christianity thing. I'm processing that. I'm going through that because I really hope it can fix my problems. Christianity will not fix your problems. And I'm going to explain what that means. You see, there's this critical juncture in the American church right now that we're at where the gospel of grace is being confused or distorted with a gospel of breakthrough, personal breakthrough. Here's what I mean by that. What does a gospel of grace mean? Gospel means good news. And grace means free and unmerited favor. So the gospel of grace is the good news that God is going to give, and he gives free and unmerited favor. You're like, how is that being confused or distorted? Because there's a message out there, maybe you've, you know, been motivated by this, or you've been thinking this, or you're bringing this here tonight, and you think to yourself, this is what you've heard. God wants to give you grace. He wants to pour out his favor upon you. He wants to bring blessing in your life, but you have to access it. There's something you have to do. There's something you have to give. There's some way that you have to begin to change or work on. And once you do this, step one, two, three, or you take this action step, then you will receive the favor and the blessing of God. And sometimes this message, this gospel of like a personal breakthrough, 
is overt, right? It's like this. Send me $100, and I'm going to send you some oil in the mail, and then you're going to pour it on your checkbook, and then all of a sudden your bank account's going to double, right? Sometimes it's overt. That you just got to do some things, and then God is going to bring blessing and favor. Or sometimes it's like this. If you help fund my fourth jet, right? You help fund my fourth jet, once I get it, then you're going to receive a double portion. Because God is in the business of personal breakthrough. As long as you do the certain steps and you do what I'm saying, then you can achieve that. And sometimes it's a little bit more muddied where it's like, sounds a lot like this. God loves you and he's poured out his grace upon you, but there are certain sins and there's certain behavior that God is not okay with. And until you kind of work on yourself and until you fix yourself a bit and until you do some certain steps to kind of clean yourself up, you're going to miss out on the blessings and the favor that God has for you and he may remove them altogether. It's more overt. But there's a message that's more subtle and oftentimes those that are delivering it don't have ill intentions, but it's important to understand the difference between the gospel of grace and the gospel of personal breakthrough. Sometimes it sounds like this. God is waiting for you. He wants to give you blessings. He wants to pour out his favor upon you. He wants to bring you victory. But you just need to do this or work on this or engage here sign up for this and if you take this step you'll see God's blessing you'll see God bring victory or healing or whatever the case may be that's not the gospel the gospel is the good news that God gives free and unmerited you can't do anything it has nothing to do with you grace has nothing to do with you you can't earn it you don't deserve it there's no step or engagement or thing to do to try to access it. So, now, God, look what I did. I know you're waiting for me. Now I did this, so you're going to now give me that, right? You're going to be disappointed because God's grace is free and unmerited. And you may think to yourself, like, Carter, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of want to have a little bit of control in the situation, I want to feel like I can do some things to fix my problems and take certain steps so that God can kind of come in. And it kind of sounds to me like you're saying that God doesn't care about my questions or my concerns or my problems, but that's not the truth at all. That's not to be confused. You see, all, we see all throughout Scripture that God says to us to cast our anxieties upon Him because He cares for us. We see that He tells us that when we are weak, He is strong. And because of the cross, we have access to the presence of God, and we know that we are loved and forgiven by God, that we have received God's free and unmerited favor, and we can't do anything to remove ourselves from that. We know that when we are carrying a heavy burden, we can cast it upon Christ and he will carry it for us and make our burden light. We are told that we can access God through prayer and find help in our time of need. God does come in the midst of your problems and your concerns and your questions. and He comes with care and love and he will walk with you through those things. But it's always grace. It is always free and unmerited. It is not because you were very religious and you did the right things that now God is pouring something out upon your life. It is free and unmerited. 
You see, the reason I said that, that Christianity won't fix your problems is because, in fact, the message of the gospel of grace, the message of Christianity, to be a Christ follower is to know that there's going to be suffering and problems in life. In fact, we know that God takes us through seasons of pruning where he's cutting away dead things, and it's a painful process. But he's doing it because he loves us and because he's growing us so that we might be conformed more into the image of Christ as we move through that season. In fact, as a Christ follower, as a person that believes in the gospel of grace, you are told to carry your cross which is the emblem of suffering. It is a torture device that your life will have suffering. You will have problems. We all do. This is the nature of life, and we can bring it to the Lord, and he will come be near us, and he will work with us in our seasons of suffering and pain and work through our questions and our concerns and our problems, and he's there with us to give grace, but you're not going to do any religious step one, two, three in order to achieve it or to access it or to make it happen in your life. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that God gives free and unmerited favor to you because Christ has done what you couldn't do. And Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus get this because this is really difficult for him to understand because his whole life has been about achieving. And so he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, the Apostle Paul helps us with this. He, he begins to speak about what it looks like to live according to the flesh. He says, if you live according to the flesh, which is what Nicodemus lived a life according to before this interaction, he says that you will set your mind on things of the flesh, just like Nicodemus, right? If you live according to the flesh, then your perspective and the things that you're looking to do is to achieve and to experience and to grab. And so you come to God, if you're living according to the flesh, saying, God, now you got to give me something to do now. I'm going to work on it. But the Apostle Paul says if you live according to the Spirit, then your mind is set on what the Spirit desires. Your, your vision is different because you're focused on the Spirit. And so Jesus is trying to help him understand this. And he says, listen, Nicodemus, you have to be born again of water and the Spirit. You have to be born again of water and the Spirit. Your pathway to healing and to renewal and to blessing and to favor is not religion. It is grace. It has nothing to do with you. It's God's free and unmerited favor given to you. And he reaffirms this and he says, listen, in verse 7 and 8, Do not marvel that I said to you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit, right? You can't manufacture wind. Wind blows where it will. You can't control it. You can't make it happen. And the same is true of the Spirit as God brings favor and grace to you. He blows where he will. And he brings refreshment and renewal and cleansing. And if you're sitting there thinking like me when you read this passage, you're like, why is water there? Like of water and the Spirit. Well, scholars have debated this, and they'll continue to debate this, of what the significance of water and the Spirit means, but here's what I think it means. Water has been and is still today a cleansing and refreshing agent. You use water to cleanse your hands and your body. You drink water to bring refreshment when you're hot, when you're out of breath. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, 
You want to enter and you want to see the kingdom of God. It is not through religion. It's not through what you can achieve and do to, to kind of access and guarantee God's grace and his favor to you. It is through the spirit who blows where he will. And when he blows into your life, into your heart, he's going to bring what? Cleansing, purifying, and refreshment. He's going to purify He's going to help change your perspective. He's going to help you to see that it's not about what you can achieve, but it's about what is given to you. He's going to bring refreshment. He's going to bring excitement and renewal to your heart and to your mind. And Nicodemus is sitting there as he's hearing all of this. And he says to Jesus, how, how can these things be? It's like what I said to my physics teacher. Like, how can this be? <laughs> what? This brings me to the second thing that I want you to see from Jesus' response. Is that grace isn't found through religion. And you saw that in the first response, but I want you to see what Jesus says here. He looks at Nicodemus and he says, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Like you have spent your whole life reading the Old Testament and being a scholar of God's word and you missed it. You thought that grace and God's favor and his blessing, his refreshment and his renewal was going to come through what you could do and the action steps that you take and how religious you are. But you missed it. And then Jesus being merciful and, and gentle with Nicodemus, he, he takes him to a very familiar passage that Nicodemus would know really well that he's probably read a thousand times in his life. And he brings him here because he wants him to see what he missed. He says this in verse 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is recalling this story from the book of Numbers where the people of God are in the wilderness. They have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They have crossed through the wet Red Sea, and they're going on this journey in the wilderness, and they're not happy about it. They don't like their situation. They don't like what's happening. They don't like their food. They're complaining about everything. It says that they're speaking out against God, and they're speaking out against Moses. They're like, and they literally say, like, we're done with this. We might as well just go back to Egypt and be enslaved again. Like, we don't like what you're doing, God. We don't like how this is working out. We don't like our food. They're focused on all the things that they can feel and experience and, and manufacture on their own, and they don't like it. And so God says, okay. And so he, he sends serpents to their camp. Can you imagine that? That's terrifying. You wake up in the morning and there are snakes everywhere. Whew, I would have run right back to Egypt. Hot second. But they all, the serpents are in the camp, and all these people get bit by the serpents. And now it's like a real state of panic because they've just got bit by poisonous serpents. And so now they're cursed. They're going to die because they don't have any way to get the poison out. They don't have any medication. They don't have anything. And so in that moment when they recognize that they're cursed and they can't do anything to save themselves, they get it. And so they go to Moses and they're like, we are so sorry um, like we're, gonna, we're telling God that we're sorry. We're going to repent. We're going to ask for forgiveness. But like, can you go to God and ask, like, is there anything that can happen or we can do in order to not die? Because we've all been bit by snakes now. 
So Moses goes to God, and he goes to God in prayer, and he says, listen, God, can you, can you show your grace? Can you pour out your grace upon your people and bring healing and, and, and life and a removal of this curse? And God says to Moses, yes, but here's what you're going to have to do. You need to tell them that you need to start doing this. Here are their action steps. Step one, two, three, do this, do that, go here, don't go there, stop saying this, start saying this. If you know the story, that's not what God says to Moses. Here's what God says to Moses. You imagine Moses sitting there when he hears this, like, wait, what? God says, I want you to take a bronze serpent, make one. Okay, this is weird where I'm going with it. Bronze serpent, and I want you to nail it to a tree, to a pole. He's like, oh, okay, we're going to make a serpent. We're going to put it on a pole. And then what I want you to do, Moses, is I want you to go in the middle of the camp, and I want you to raise it up. Okay, this is getting weirder by the minute. We're going to make a bronze serpent. We're going to put it on a pole, and we're going to raise it up in the middle of the camp. What next? Then I want you to tell all the people that anyone that looks at the serpent on the pole will be healed, and they will live. What? Is that to look at it? That's all I have to do? All I got to do is look at the serpent on the pole. Okay. So they do it. They make the snake. They put it on the pole. They raise it up in the middle of the camp, and everybody that looked at the serpent that was hanging on the pole was healed and received God's grace. His blessing is free and unmerited favor by changing their vision. And Jesus, you can imagine looking at Nicodemus and saying, do you get it now? And he says to him, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. See, what he wants Nicodemus to see, which is what he wants us to see, is that grace is not found in religious activity. It is found in a change of your vision. Where you stop looking at what you can do and what you can achieve and what you can manufacture to try to achieve whatever God is going to give you. And instead saying, I'm, I'm just going to look to the serpent on a pole. Because Jesus himself was a serpent on the pole. He was the emblem of sin. He carried sin on his shoulders. Galatians tells us that he became the curse for us. That he took our sin and our failings and our curse, our poison, and he paid for it. And he was nailed to a tree and lifted up. And here's what the gospel of grace says. You want to receive God's free and unmerited favor? Look to Jesus on the pole. Look to Jesus on the cross because he paid for you. It is free and it is unmerited and it is given to you when you look at him. You find it there. And if you're like me, you're sitting there thinking, well, what happened with Nicodemus after he hears all this? He's processing all this. We only see Nicodemus one other time in the Bible. And we see Nicodemus right after Jesus is crucified. There's a man by the name of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And it says that he and Nicodemus take the body of Jesus and care for it and prepare it and bury him in the tomb. Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus at night, not wanting to interact, not wanting to be seen, not wanting to tarnish his reputation, coming thinking he just needs to add one more step in his life to achieve and find blessing and grace, he encounters Jesus this night, and it changes him forever. 
because he is renewed by the power of the Spirit. He is cleansed and purified and refreshed to where when the opportunity strikes, where this is fulfilled, that the Son of Man is lifted up on a pole, he is there and he doesn't care who sees. He's going to care for the body of his Savior and put him in the tomb until three days later he's going to realize that he's not there anymore. You're like, how did that happen? Well, the most famous verse in the entire Bible comes right after this in John 3.16 where Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says this. I want you to read it with me. It's on the screen. For this is how God loved the world. Can you see it? Can you read it with me? He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So you've come here tonight, you've brought questions before Jesus, you have concerns, you've got problems, you've got suffering, you've got things that you're going through. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to walk away with. God's grace is free and unmerited to you. And he's not asking you to do something, he's not asking you to take a religious step to start implementing this, this, and this. He's saying, well, if you want to receive grace, just look to Jesus Look to the one who has died for you and come forth from the grave. Change your vision. Stop looking down and start looking up. And then set your mind on the spirit who blows where he wishes and he brings renewal and refreshment. Here's what that means. That means my, my encouragement to you is to every single day this week, pray to the Holy Spirit and ask him to fill you. Ask him to bring refreshment and renewal and trust that God will pour out his grace upon you as you change your vision and as you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and renew your heart and your mind because he is the one that applies grace to your heart. It may sound counterintuitive, but this is how you find answers to your questions and how you find relief to your problems and your suffering is by fixing your eyes on Jesus and it's by trusting and asking the Holy Spirit to bring renewal and purification to your heart as he applies grace to you. Will you pray with me?